Welcome to the Revision Wizards podcast. I'm V.E. Griffith, and I'm joined by my witchy co-host, Ms. Catherine M.H. This is episode 18. This episode is sponsored by our amazing patrons who help us build our podcast so we can help you make your editing and revision process better. Our patrons help us to pay for transcripts of the show available on our website and for better audio recording quality so your listening is much easier. <laughs> if you'd love be willing to support the show financially for as little as a buck an episode, we have a bunch of neat benefits that you can take advantage of, including but not limited to special podcast feed with extra content and personal updates, inside access as we collaborate on a Kindle Vela, the opportunity to ask questions for our Ask the, Epi- Ask the Editor episode, professional editing, and more. You can find out everything you need to know on patreon.com slash revisionwizards. This week, we have a new guest for a scene analysis, Roland Denzel. He wrote an excellent piece, and we're excited to share the discussion with you. And with that, here we go. Okay, so we're here today with uh, with a new guest. If you would, please tell us your name and your pronouns. Hi, my name is Roland Denzel. My pronouns are, what are they? They're he, him. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so we're doing a scene analysis on a scene that you sent us a few days ago, um, and we're going through the uh, the Revision Wizard scene rubric um, uh, section by section. So tell us uh, about what we've read and, and what this story is and, and where we are in the story. What would I need to know or what would I know coming into this scene? So coming into the scene, this is a scene in the patio, obviously an outdoor section of a coffee shop near the nearest street. And the main character, um, Kat, K-A-T, is, uh, she is meeting with an attorney who um, she wanted to meet in sort of a public place, not in her own, not in her own apartment and not in his office. So they're meeting outdoors and... Um, she is suffering from amnesia. She's doesn't really know exactly who she is. She only knows what she's been told. She's been recovering from a car accident. Um, and recently, a few months back, released from a hospital um, and sort of set on her own, given in an apartment. And, um, and uh, yeah, so she doesn't really understand what's going on with the world totally at this point. And things just start to get, get stranger. Okay, but it's uh, it'll be interesting to see where we go with this. Miss Catherine, you want to go through uh, characters in the scene for us? Sure, you always start with me on this, but fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we have. So I don't know if it, I don't know if it would help. Like we like it's not a surprise. I mean, this is a this is an urban fantasy, right? So you you're going into it knowing that there's there better be some paranormal shenanigans going on, right? And so there have been a couple of scenes previously to where she doesn't know, like she's had a thing with a therapist. She understands that she can, she has supernatural or super like superhuman hearing and that she doesn't understand why she has it. Um, Her therapist doesn't believe her um, that she has it. And she, there's, she goes through life sometimes where people just don't notice her. Like she can like just sort of drift in, like when she gets embarrassed or something like that, she'll sort of drift into the background and people will literally sort of not notice that she's there and she doesn't understand why this is going on. Yeah. That makes a lot more sense. Okay. (laughs) For me. Oh, good. (laughs) 
I guess that's the trouble when you just look at a scene, a scene in time, right? Like when, you know, you don't always know. Yeah, exactly. Especially if we're not doing chapter one, scene one, there's, there's background information that, that, you know, we don't necessarily have. So, um, so my, my criticism and my comments on this scene are really about only about what I've seen in this scene. So, uh, just so everybody knows if I make a mistake, it's probably because I'm lacking context. Yeah, you did a good job of saying there must be something that I'm that that happened before there, so I'm satisfied. So that was uh yeah, so that was pretty good. Okay. And if there wasn't something, maybe that's a cue for you to put it in. <laughs> so so okay, characters, Miss Miss Catherine. Yes, characters. Okay, so we have Kat, who seems to be our main character. I wish there was more of her voice, at least at this point, because I wasn't getting a whole lot from her voice. It sounded almost monotone for me. Her inner dialogue and her out dialogue just didn't have a voice for me. However, as this is like chapter two, we probably have already started picking up on her voice. Just in this chapter, I wasn't getting it. Um, Her emotional state is confused, which makes sense. (laughs) She doesn't know who she is, so she would be confused. Um, The stuff going on around her is confusing, so that is also adding to her confusion. And then her physical condition goes from being pretty healthy to I am bleeding (laughs) and need to stop my bleeding arm. So that's definitely Kat. And then we have the rock star, and I'm assuming that's just what we're calling him. They, the voice matched the strangeness of this character. (laughs) Um, The emotional state was questionable, (laughs) which I thought was perfectly fine because this person is interesting to say, (laughs) to put it kindly. And then their physical condition, I would say you could tell something was wrong with them the moment you meet them. Um, The movements could be just a little bit clearer for me. That's that's what I've got with that one. And then with Tyler, um, the voice sounds very like confident, knows what they're talking about, and then becomes void during that dazed period. So doesn't know what's happening doesn't quite catch on. So it really does add to that moment. And that's the same with the emotional state. They are pretty much confident and then completely under this mind control. And because of this, I labeled them as a weak human for their physical condition. (laughs) So that was, that was me for the characters. That that's about what I got as well. I thought Mr. Mr. Tyler sounded agitated as I think back on it, that may have only been after rockstar's appearance. He was clearly discombobulated by rockstar and I don't know why, which I assume is author's intent. I I thought that I thought that that worked well. If, if he's a mere mortal, then I, I thought the whole thing, you know, the whole thing worked well in, in terms of Mr. Tyler cat is confused. She doesn't understand what's going on. She doesn't understand she doesn't understand what the files are that Mr. Tyler has. She doesn't know what she's looking at, or she's in denial about what she's looking at, something like that. Rockstar seemed to me to be angry and challenging, but neither the reader nor Cat really understand why or what his what's going on here, which again is exactly what 
where we're supposed to be, I think, considering where we are in the story. So for the next section, in terms of uh, protagonist wants, uh, the protagonist wants to understand what the heck is going on and she doesn't get there. The whole scene just makes her more confused. It's clear to me, Kat doesn't get what's going on either before or after the confrontation with Rockstar. She doesn't understand what the deal with Rockstar is. She wants to understand that's very clear, but she never does. For me, this sets up a larger story level conflict and it works well in that end. So the the story is going to be some kind of a growth arc for Kat as she understands what's happened to her, gets past her amnesia and comes to some kind of an emotional understanding about what's going on. That's that's my sense of where we're headed in the story. I rated this section to be excellent. What she wants is well-defined. It's clear to me. It's clear to the reader. It's clear, I think, to Mr. Tyler that, you know, she doesn't understand what's going on either. And I think he wants her to. And I, I so the other characters understand what's going on as well. So I thought, I thought uh, protagonist external pursuits were excellent. Should I be commenting along the way? You certainly can. You absolutely can. Usually we'll do the two editors and then we'll ask your your feedback. But yes, if you have something to interject, please do. The only thing I guess I would add is that in the previous chapter, it was it was pretty much just between Kat and Mr. Tyler. And he's like a ready to retire or already past retirement age lawyer who's like been sent out. To, to figure out who she is, why she shows up in these records. Please explain these records to me. They don't make sense. He's annoyed that she doesn't understand either. And he's just like, I just want to get this over with. They just paid me to do this. I don't want to be part. I know. So he's already annoyed by the time Rockstar comes in. Okay. Yeah, that make that makes sense. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Catherine, what did you think? I marked the section as good. I saw it as her external wants is to know who she is. It's not really to know what's going on. It's I want to know who I am. And for me, I marked that as good. She definitely, the chapter starts off with her being like, hey, who am I? And then it's restated again when you're with the antagonist. So she's like, what do you mean? Who am I? Who are you? Like, (laughs) I don't know who I am. So clearly I don't know who you are. So I thought that that was good. Towards the end of the chapter is where it gets a little less, which is why I marked this as good for her being like, who am I? It was suddenly about a pair of glasses and why don't people see me? So that's what I marked it as. What about internal desires? So that was to understand herself. So she wants to find out the external who she is. But she also wants to understand what she is. So I marked that between fair and good. So I could see her trying to figure things out. But then there was a bit of pacing at the end of the chapter that really slowed down her trying to think it through that I think would have made this better. So she wants to understand what's going on, wants to understand and needs to like what is happening to her? So like she herself, what am I capable of doing? Like, can she talk to animals? It sounds like she can talk to animals in this chapter. So now we know like she has the hearing. I was able to understand that through this chapter that she could hear things that she wasn't supposed to be hearing. 
So I think it's her internal want is to know her, like she herself. I, I rated this section as fair uh, again, be just based on what I see here. I think that just a sentence or two about, about her internal voice and her confusion added during the beginning of the scene with, with uh, Mr. Tyler would not go astray unless she has more clearly already expressed this confusion and the reader already knows about it from chapter one. So somewhere it needs to be there. But I think that a, a sentence or two about it, who the hell am I, who, what's going on? I don't understand. Not just, I don't understand or remember anything about these records. I don't know where they came from. She would have somewhere along the way, she would have noticed other things that that are happening to her that she doesn't get. And and that would confuse her. I think that given the level of writing that I see in this scene and the skill of the author, I think that that's going to, I think that that's going to become clearer or it can be added easily. One of those two. Um, are you making me blush? <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is good stuff. I've read way, way worse than this. So, you know, this is good. Could be worse. <laughs> you write a review. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when I'm done line editing it, absolutely. Uh, what does the antagonist want? External pursuits, Miss Catherine. To start or to get the file. And so I marked this as good. You can tell that this person wants the file. And I think that they themselves get in the way of getting the file. So, and I was also thinking, I'm like, well, they've mentioned that others are looking for her. Um, it makes you question the lawyer a little bit because like for right now, I don't know how we got these files to begin with. So how is this group suddenly looking for these files? And to me, it makes me wonder if the antagonist will continue to be Mr. Rockstar or if it's an organization that he is working for, or it's a group and he just happened to mess up at this moment. I'm I'm not sure. I understand that he wants the documents. I don't understand his larger motivation, and I don't think the reader is supposed to either, uh, because he's obviously a new character coming onto the scene, which is fine. It's clear that he is willing to be extremely nasty to get what he wants, so he's definitely a dangerous person. He's unwilling or unable ne necessarily to explain why he doesn't he, he doesn't go into any detail. I don't think that he needs to. I rated this section to be excellent because it's real clear what he wants. It's well-defined. It's obvious to the reader. Other characters understand what's, what's happening to him, what, what his deal is. So I think that, that this one was spot on uh, in terms of, you know, in terms of antagonists, uh, external pursuits. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And um, both of you. Yeah, so like you both brought up some good points and um, also gave me some ideas on like I feel like a lot of the things you said, they, the, the motivation probably will become clear later. And some of them was, you know, some of this will have been made clear earlier, uh, both true. But I'm also like going, oh, you know, there's some other areas in previous chapters where I could do a little bit more. So, yeah. I had a question for you. <laughs> okay. The hand movements. So I drew really horrible stick figures for that. But as, as he's walking, all I could picture was the thriller. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's what you meant he was doing or not. <laughs> but that's like he's walking and um, that's all I could see. 
A little bit, but have you? Did you see Schitt's Creek? No. So in in Schitt's, I mean, you can watch some of. So Annie, I think, I think I don't know. I can't remember whether that's the actress's name or the character's name, but she's the main, the daughter in the family. Um, she does this thing where she, it's like, you know, it's like she talks. It's like, it's kind of hard to see, but it's almost like a T-Rex, you know, like with the little T-Rex hands as she's like walking around like this, almost like she's holding. And she said she got it from, I already had similar kinds of things, but I like beefed it up a little bit after she described it. Cause it was like, so I just wanted this person to be almost like David Bowie, um, Keith Richards, Johnny Depp, kind of like this, all of the, you know, in Pirates of the Caribbean, like doing all this sort of flowy stuff. And like with his hands, just kind of like doing these, you know, this, this thing, almost like he's high or crazy or just, you know, wacky. Yeah. So it's very similar, not thriller so much, not as, not as choreographed as thriller, but similar movements. Yes. Okay. Well, that's what my horrible stick figures were trying to portray. I think Wednesday, I think Wednesday does some of those in that Wednesday Mm -hmm. show. She does a little bit of that stuff too. Yeah. See, and I pretty much missed it completely, but I am want to do that. And so that's one of the reasons why, you know, I work so well with with Miss Catherine because she sees stuff. I see stuff. Um, I missed it completely, but obviously it's in there. And that's in some ways just sort of a failing of mine. Um, But I got, I, my image of him is very clear that he's a, he's flamboyant. He's weird. And he's intentionally. So he's sort of uh, my sense of him in terms of a, a rock star equivalent would be Mick Jagger um, on steroids. That, that's an excellent visualization. That's, that's a good one right there. Yeah. Yeah. So having, having seen Mick Jagger on stage several times, he's absolutely, you know, this is, this is a, this is in some ways a Mick Jagger impression and I love it. Yeah. With the flowery flowy shirt, but unbuttoned a little bit too low. Right. And uh, yeah. Swagger. Clearly, I missed the rock star zone because <laughs> for me, I'm like, I don't know who you're even talking about. Like, I know of the name, but I'm like, I don't know what they look like. <laughs> I don't know what they do. <laughs> so in my brain, I went to K-pop, which was another thing that I brought up. I was like, what time frame is this? Like, do you have a year set up? Or is this like completely fantasy? It's now. Okay. All right. Just making sure. No, it is now. Um, but you brought up a good point. So you brought up a good point. So like in my day and age, and I don't know how old Aaron is, right? But um, like I'm 55. So like my rock star equivalent, like like immediately comes to mind. He also saw Mick Jagger, which is perfectly equivalent. You might say Peter Frampton, you know, like all of these people. But maybe I need to come up with some sort of characteristics so um, younger people will also um, have a better visualization. Yeah. Some of this might be target audience kind of thing, or if your target audience is wider and just so everybody knows I'm 48. And so, you know, you could do multiple examples. So you could find a K-pop star that's got the image that you want. And so you could mention them, maybe mention them by name. I don't know if, if the Rolling Stones exist in, you know, or K-pop stars exist in this world. Oh, for sure. So she could she could think of both names simultaneously so that everybody has an image. Or maybe one of the other patrons out in the coffee house who like who are whispering about like the person, maybe they could bring up somebody like, oh, is that so and so from the, you know, 
Yeah, that's a that's a great. Yeah. Oh no, he's oh no, he's too old or he's too young or whatever like that. You know, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that would be that would be a great idea. So that so she doesn't have to do it because she's concentrating on her on her confusion, but somebody else could notice it. That that would that's an excellent idea. So I was going to say the other part. A, I loved his little jazz hands at the dog. That made me laugh so hard. But especially with now nowadays. The, the hand flapping is a very big sign of autism. So, and it's usually like when it's written, it's stuff like this. And it's very common in like trying to help diagnose with like autism. So I did mention that for you, just in case that was something to like put on your radar or anything. Yeah, definitely. I don't want it to be confused with that. I want it to be like, ooh, you know, like, like I'm afraid, you know, or like, uh, you know, teasing kind of a rock jazz hands, not like out of control, you know, like not like I'm not a, not like a palsy kind of a thing. Yeah, I got that very clearly and I thought it was hysterical. Oh, good. <laughs> I got the jazz hand part. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Poor dog. Okay, for his internal desires, um, I didn't really have a sense of his internal need yet, uh, unless it's just control of the situation, or maybe he's after some kind of privacy about what the files are going to show. Um, maybe they involve him. I don't know. Maybe it's something that he did, some kind of criminal something that that he helped get cat into this situation? I have no idea. Um, I rated it fair because of the lack of clarity around his internal motivation. Just like everything else, I think, I think this will be better explained as the, as the story goes on. I think this is a black hole that the author, that the reader is supposed to be in right now. This is confusion to draw us into the story. And I think from that perspective, it worked very well. Great. I also thought that it was like, we don't have to know it. I couldn't find it at all. I marked it as underdeveloped. And I'm like, that's 100% okay at this point in your book. Because <laughs> I was like, we'll find that out later if even this character is an important character. I certainly hope he's an important character because he's a good character. And I, I, I hope he was not killed by the bus. He's a vampire. Nah. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no, I, I can, I can tell that he's a vampire, but I, you know, but I, I just, I, I hope that, I hope that things go well for him and we see him again because he's, he's entertaining and, and the purpose of this, you know, of this writing is to be entertaining. So I'll, I'll send him your best wishes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. What about conflict, Miss Catherine? So for conflict, I had two big conflicts in this chapter. Um, conflict number one is I saw it as Rockstar has upset the atmosphere in the cafe and is now demanding for the file. So that to me starts the conflict. Um, I marked that as good. I could see it. I could see the movement. I could see the, the build of this. He's going to demand something. He's, he's looked at her a few times can clearly read her mind, at least to me anyway. And you can see that the conflict went from haha, look at everybody to I'm directing it straight at you. So I've already caused enough commotion. And now I can point at you. So that's what I saw as the first conflict. The second big conflict was after the bus incident. 
So in this case, it was, I saw it as, um, looking at the notes, sorry. <laughs> so she's left behind to try to figure out what's happened. So this moment of it's calmed, but now what the heck happened is the conflict that I see in this one. I marked this as underdeveloped because through that section, I felt like it could be clearer. I couldn't pinpoint like for you an exact location of where this idea of, oh, this was the conflict for this zone. So to me, I thought that that part was underdeveloped. I could just tell that the new conflict was what just happened. So that was that was my conflicts. What about you, V? I thought I really only identified one, and that was Rockstar's appearance and demand for the for the documents. That's what pushes her out of her every day. The amnesia and the story level conflict starts a little bit earlier, but in terms of this scene, Rockstar's appearance is very clearly what pushes what pushes her out of the status quo that she was already in, in terms of talking with, with the lawyer. I rated this as excellent because it's real clear. It's not under her control. It is, it's unavoidable and it sets the stage for some kind of choice that she's going to have to make. Even if she doesn't actively think about the choice, there are multiple options in, in ways that she can go about this. She can, she can do lots of stuff and we'll get to that when we talk to choice. So, but I thought, I thought overall this was excellent. I thought that the confusion after the bus incident was well written. I can see that it can be considered a, or that the bus incident is another uh, another sort of inciting incident. But we have talked on the show before that an inciting incident and the conflict are not necessarily related to one another. You can have an inciting incident that isn't about your conflict, that the conflict becomes evident later. And that the bus incident may be one of those kinds of incidents. So, and it's clear that she doesn't, she doesn't spend a whole lot of time wondering where, where's the corpse. Instead, she goes, she goes toward his eyes and the, and the glasses. And I'm not sure why, what made her focus on that. So maybe a little internal dialogue about, about that and her confusion surrounding that and why she fixates on that as opposed to what everybody else is fixated on, which is, you know, the bus accident would, would not go astray here. Just a little bit of another sentence or two of internal dialogue would work well. Roland, what do you think? I agree with you. In fact, um, I want, so there's a couple things. Like I added the, the rock star was actually, I totally had reworked this scene from an earlier scene where the conflict was between her and Mr. Tyler and they had an argument. She ends up, taking the documents and um, she goes, they goes off for separate ways and she discovers what's in the documents in the next, in the next scene. And is, and you know, gets upset about that. And I thought, well, that's really not enough conflict and people are going to want to see paranormal stuff right out earlier in the book. So why not make it more dramatic? And let's where can I introduce a vampire early on? And I wanted it to be a, a dramatic vampire entrance that is not, that does not kill her. Or, like it, it still ha leaves more questions than it answers. Right. There's a vampire. Oh my gosh. Now I know vampires are a real thing or like, is that a vampire? Like that kind of a thing. And, but it would also give, leave her with a couple more mysteries 
like, what is he talking about? Like, why does she know? Why does he know who I am? And I don't know, you know, like, so there's more of those. So I added him in because of that. And, um, and then I fleshed him out more when I decided I wanted him to be an ongoing character that's going to come back later in the book. Um, as for the glasses, like I wanted her to have the glasses later on so she'd have them. So I stuck it in there to go back and find the glasses, right? So that was why she gets the glasses because I want her to be able to have conflict with him with Rockstar later and have his glasses. It's like, it's such a minor thing, right? But the reality is, so what I've already thought, I saw your notes because it's, it's, you know, spoiler alert for anyone listening. I read the, your notes before time, beforehand and I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, it's a great idea. I'm going to, I would like her to just notice the glasses on the ground and find them rather than go back and specifically look for the glasses. Because you're right, there's no real reason for her to like, why I need to get those glasses. Like, and the only reason she's really fixated on the eyes is because they're solid black with no whites. And that's, that's unusual, right? And she's going to think, well, that's why he was wearing the glasses. Probably, right? But so then when she is investigating. So my, my addition will be that when she's investigating, where did he go after the bus accident, she will see the glasses out of the corner of her eye, pick them up, make sure no one's looking and take them with her. Um, because previous in the previous scene, she also begins to have a distrust of police authorities and things like that, because the, the attorney warns her that, you know, other, you know, there's other signs that the police aren't to be trusted as well. Not the police specifically, but just like, don't trust people. <laughs> You're not safe. So don't get arrested. She doesn't want to get arrested. She doesn't want to risk talking to the police, right? Yeah. Which I think comes to one of your later questions about like, why is she, why doesn't she stick around and talk to the police? Yeah. Cool, cool. That does help me out with that. <laughs> well, that one makes sense to me because I wouldn't, yeah, that, that makes sense to me because I have no interest in talking to the police myself. It's like, get me away from this. I There is... I can see for her that there is no situation in which talking to the police is a good thing for her. So it, it makes perfect sense that she wants out of there. <laughs> I agree in my mind why she would think that, but I think it doesn't come across. So I think Miss Catherine is correct. And like, I didn't come like, so I think you're, you might be your excitement of this, you know, like my, be getting you to that point where I think other people would go like, why is, wasn't she trust the police? Cause a lot of people do trust the police. And if they see an accident, they might say, you know, it's my responsibility to stick around. And, but in this case, she's like, I can't trust. And I, so I think maybe possibly beefing up the suspicion of the bystanders about her and like them saying it must be her. She accused him of doing, she's going to, Oh my gosh, she's going to be arrested for killing that guy. Like being responsible for inciting. Like, so maybe they're, they will have worked themselves up to where she's like, Oh my gosh, if I get talked to the police, they're going to throw me in jail instead of looking for that dude. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. That, yeah, that's a direction that absolutely could work. Um, yeah. So Okay, so I'm going to turn it around. Miss Catherine, what did you think about choice? So for me, I had two choices um, to go with my first one. It was to try and stop Mr. Tyler from leaving or to give in to Rockstar's demands and back off. In her case, she decides that she is not backing off and she's going to um, physically hold Tyler there 
knowing that he's an old man makes a lot more sense now. Cause I was like, if he's already under this mind control, wouldn't he just try to leave anyway? But being like older and on the frailer side is now what I'm picturing. She could hold him a little easier. Does make me wonder about the push though, because she does push him and he doesn't move at first and then has to push him again. So there is, there is a little bit of that. I think he's, I think he, I think he's old, but he's, I'd have to look back, but in my, I'm, I believe I wrote him as old and over, very overweight. Okay. That makes more sense. But not particularly, (laughs) but not like, but not like athletic or anything like that, you know? So. Okay. So that, that makes me wonder if she's, my guess is that she's a vampire and doesn't know it. One of her one of her abilities might be strength that she is not aware of. And so she might push him harder than she intends or than a normal person would. Would that have some physical effect on his body? Could she accidentally knock him down? Something like that Um, as another clue about, you know, and if not, not that's fine. It, it just occurs to me that that's a, that's a thing in terms of, I, I went with best bad choice here, either hand over the folder or refuse and resist. And obviously she chooses to resist. Um, it's unclear to me what the stakes are, but that's because I think it's unclear to, to cat what the stakes are. She doesn't understand why this guy wants the folder. She doesn't understand what the records mean. So she just doesn't have a clue. Um, I rated the choices fair again, wider context, probably pretty good fits within the confusion of the character. And that's fine. I, I think it all is of a piece in terms of in terms of the way it's portrayed. It's portrayed consistently and as as part of her confusion about her situation. I think it's from that perspective, it's absolutely fine. In the previous scene, Mr. Tyler had shown her some of the contents of the folder, the file. And one of them was a picture of her, a black and white picture from like 50 years ago. And it's clearly like of her or her mother or her grandmother, but it's exactly, it looks exactly like her. Right. And, um, it is from a, um, from, a, a an asylum that is no longer, that has been shut down. And so these are records like patient records from that asylum. Sort And, um, there are clues that this is actually her because it's, like as soon as they say the name of this patient, she's like, like she, that's like that's basically her name. So she's like, oh, I didn't know that that is my name, and even though she didn't know. So it's starting to spark memories, but then she's wondering why, who is this person in there? That's you know, it looks exactly like me, hair, everything, you know, but you know, fifty, sixty years older. Yeah, I definitely liked this moment where she it almost seems like time slows down so if she's able to that's what that moment had started to feel like so the paranormal stuff is my brain was going to there's a lot of space between what she is doing to the moment that the consequence happens so i'll get into that again in a few moments but it seems like time slowed and she was able to do more. So maybe she has speed, so she's not actually slowing time. She's just faster than normal. So 
that seemed to like pick up for me, which makes this choice interesting because she's acting much faster than maybe people around her were seeing, which leads to some of that confusion later on. My other conflict or my other choice was to let the cops handle things or to take the glasses and go. And so for me, she just takes the glasses and goes. And I just, I couldn't understand why she would like move in that direction to take the glasses and not talk to the cops. A few reasons being like, um, you're a woman who was just assaulted. So unless you've got like a fear of cops or something is going on, I felt like that it just didn't seem right why she wouldn't stay around. So the choice she made felt weird and I couldn't figure out why. So knowing that I guess the cops aren't, you know, to be trusted and she's already got that fear makes more sense as to why she would be like, peace out as soon as they showed up. Well, that's a good, I'm glad you mentioned a woman who had been assaulted because that, that, you know, gives me a sort of a different, as a guy, you, you know, like maybe it hadn't, it hadn't really occurred to me to look at it from that angle. So maybe that's a different thing to, to consider and or work in more previously to make it uh, more clear why she would not stick around when the police are there. I, one idea might be that she has been assaulted in the past unrelated to this story. And she had a negative association with the cops treating her, you know, with the way the cops treated her. And that is, that is perfectly in character for, you know, millions of women's experiences with things like domestic violence or sexual assault and things like that. And so if she has that experience, she would naturally distrust the police and not want to go through that again as well. Yeah, that's actually, that's, it's easy. Cause I have a scene where she's walking home earlier and I could just have her see a cop and just go to the other side, you know, like wait for him to pass and like, uh, you know, just do something like that and have some sort of internal dialogue for that to, you know, a couple of lines will take care of that. I think. Yeah. I think that, I think that works well in terms of consequence, uh, spoiler alert, she gets the files, the lawyer and the rock star disappear. I didn't predict either that the rock star would be hit by the bus or that once he was hit, once it became obvious that he was going to get crushed by the bus, that his, he would disappear. The lawyer giving everybody the slip doesn't really surprise me, but it, it's not out of character. The only thing I'm thinking is that his leaving the documents behind might be since he was already gathering them up when, you know, at, at some point in the scene after, after we encounter Rockstar. So it seems like he would have to have some mental lapse to leave them behind. That is certainly possible. Um, and he might just say, this is not worth it to me. Peace out. And I know that we're in her point of view, but it's something to consider about. Maybe she might think about that, or she might wonder where the hell he went, why he left the documents behind because she just, she sees them there. She takes them and she doesn't question why they're there. I was thinking, I, I noticed your, your point there and um, thinking about having a bystander mention that he walked off in a daze or, um, or possibly making him, um, a, you know, having something later on where, where they found him sitting on the bus because remember his, like he had been ordered by Rockstar to go get on the bus. So, you know, so like, you know, he just like, you know, he was still under that, that mind control. So he just went and got on this bus, even though it was like not going anywhere at this point. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was going to mention that. That's where my brain went. <laughs> That's where my brain went when I was like, oh, he's gone. <laughs> he got on a bus. Like, <laughs> that, like I could see... Also, I've read a lot of vampire stuff where it's like, oh, they've been mind controlled. And then they're still doing like whatever it was the vampire had wanted them to do. Even if it was like, "Ooh, I could have, ah, you didn't have to. Oh, well, you've been washing dishes for like the last seven days. My bad. Like, (laughs) so I've seen stuff like that. I forgot to turn you off. Yeah. (laughs) So for me, the consequence, because I have to, um, I rated it as good that so the consequence was she gets attacked by rockstar and it was satisfying because like you could see it building and i was like yes this is the correct movement that this needed to go in i enjoyed the animalistic like view that he was and then the dog like i was like yes the dog good boy (laughs) like but then it got a little confusing for me which is the only reason i didn't make it excellent was the movement between the dog and Rockstar because suddenly the dog is pushing them into a street. And is that because something that she would have subconsciously, like if she can talk to animals or think to animals, then is this something subconscious that the dog would have pushed them out into the street instead of trying to pin them? So it just, it just made me be like, I don't know about that. Definitely loved the bus hitting him. It was great. <laughs> the There was the question, and I, I did mention it with the bus. 40 miles an hour in a city sounds really high for a bus to be driving. Yeah, I had I, I asked a couple of bus drivers to make sure it was okay. And um, they, they clarified. They said... They even I even had somebody run a physics simulator for me to have would I be able to see the bus at the bus stop and could it be going forty miles an hour? It doesn't even have to be going forty miles an hour, but I mean I could tone that down a little bit if it sounds too high, even though it, it is realistic. They said especially on like a main on a on a busy street, forty miles per hour is not that bad. Um, and they even said with if you get about a quarter of a mile, that is not a bad acceleration. Um, I'm thinking about making it. Um, an empty bus though. So like there were no people on the bus, in which case the driver could accelerate, is free to accelerate faster. Um, But I don't have to say 40 miles per hour. Like I can take the, you know, let the, the reader imagine how fast it is too. If that seems, if that's takes you out of the story. And then it it did seem a bit optimistic for the, (laughs) for the driver to not have hit the brakes. I mean, like anytime somebody sees something in a road, they're either taking their foot off of the acceleration, they're swerving if they like they're hitting the brakes. So I feel like it wouldn't have gotten down the street (laughs) before the guy hit the brakes. (laughs) I just feel like he would have done something like granted, like if it's going fast, it's going to take a while to stop. He definitely did hit the brakes, but I I would definitely... Yeah, I definitely need to clarify that because it's not too far down the street, but it's just like, you know, here's the the shop and there's another shop, maybe like one more shop and that's where it stopped. So it's not super far down the street, but it's just did not, did not, I mean, yeah, but I'll definitely have to do, put some screeching of brakes sounds or something like that. 
maybe he he wouldn't swerve because he would know through training that he would roll the bus. So if you're gonna if you're gonna take somebody, you want to you know, and you can't stop, and you don't have a choice, you want their body print, whether it's a deer or whether it's a person, you want the body print as close to the center line as you can get it, mm-hmm. because that's the for the bus. And for the other people who aren't going to get hurt or who might not get hurt, that's going to be the safest place to take it. Yeah. Well, in the bus driver's view, like there's this guy smashed against the window, like kind of like right in the windshield right there already, you know? So because, you know, what what it doesn't get mentioned is the, the vampire would have, tri- he has superhuman strength as well. So like he tries to jump out of the way, doesn't quite get it. And then like gets smacked by the bus and then... But he's not killed by the bus, obviously, so he gets out of there. My other question that I had is unrelated to the bus. I was unclear until later, until after the bus incident, that they were actually sitting outside on the patio. I thought my imagination was that they were indoors. And part of the reason for that was you wouldn't want to be sitting on a patio with these files a, because it's going to be quieter and more private, but also you wouldn't want to be sitting in the wind with these files. You wouldn't want to, but in the previous chapter, there was no place to sit inside. Okay. Okay. Um, so they went outside. Okay. So there is an explanation. That's fine then. Okay. I didn't see that. And so that came to me as a, that's a, again, that's a perspective thing. That's fine. And that brought me to my last consequence, which was she leaves unnoticed and The unnoticed part was what was bothering me the most because it went from everybody was pointing and talking to her to suddenly nobody noticed that she walked back outside holding napkins (laughs) to her arm. Nobody is asked, hey, my God, like you're bleeding. Are you okay? Like no, no other woman has come up to her to be like, hey, are you all right? This guy just attacked you. So it just felt very strange that it went from there's somebody who's dead under a bus to it was her it was her and then nobody notices that she's around anymore so it was so so i take it it was not clear that she also thought it was weird that people weren't noticing her yeah it just it took a long time because i did mention that through a section where i was like it would be better to condense some of it and have her like inner thoughts questioning why people aren't noticing her that part, I think she's just like, oh, people aren't noticing me. It's like, what about me? I'm over here bleeding. I'm over here bleeding and you people are all worried about this dog. Yeah. <laughs> Which I would like to know how she knows the dog's name, but not cargo pants. <laughs> I don't think because she doesn't care. Like when people when she doesn't care, she she gives people these names. Right. So that's going to be that's a trend throughout the book. Like she gives like, I, I don't know who that person is. I just give them this name out of my character characteristics. I mentally, she uses it ment- in her mental, in her, her internal dialogue. She, A, she's interested in the dog, but also they say the dog's name in the previous chapter. Okay, okay. <laughs> and the dog comes up to her and tries to, you know, like, you know, do dog stuff with her, you know, so. So, and she likes the dog. So, she remembers his, his name. And that's going to be a trend throughout the book where, you know, if she likes somebody, you know, she will in, even internally use their name. If she doesn't care or dislikes them, then she, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. If we move on to mechanics, the next up is showing versus telling. I rated this as between fair and good. Mechanically, I found a fair bit of telling. It wasn't jarring. It wasn't info dumpy. And that's good. 
but some of it, and I did in several cases, some of it could be converted into internal dialogue and that would make it less, less telly. And I think, um, Overall, I found the subject, the the scene to be well constructed. It was engaging. It pulled me along. I wanted to continue reading it. I wasn't like, oh shit, I got a podcast episode to do with this garbage. I, it was it was great. Okay, I really enjoyed it. This is one I wanted to look forward to. So, um, you know, and and it's been it was it was well constructed. I, I think the showing versus telling, we could use some work, but it's not a. It, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't focus on that as an, as the big problem that you have with this scene. So. Interesting. <laughs> I thought a little differently because I always do. <laughs> I, I marked this as fair. So I did highlight the page. I'm sorry. I have to go. Yeah. <laughs> um. So for me up until right after he's hit by the bus, really well and then that section after got into a lot of telling i thought more than showing a bit of her confusion it was just they were chatting around her and like i said i couldn't pick up on the fact that people went from noticing her to suddenly not and her being confused as to like why don't you see me so i thought that that section could be done a bit better and it seemed bogged down so that's that was the only spot that i felt you could do a little bit more showing with well despite the fact that aaron said it wasn't too bad his his edits in the thing were in line with what you just said so i <laughs> so, so i think he you know well that just shows you my level of experience with showing versus telling i thought it wasn't bad yeah there were some edits like i said but it was fine yeah, and I agree. I liked the edits and I liked the suggestions that both of you made. Um, a lot of them were so simple. And like, I just, you know, I'm a, primarily a, a nonfiction author to this point, right? So I've written a lot of short stories and things over time, but I've, ne you know, I've never gotten to the point where somebody has professionally edited much more than a short story of mine. So I don't get that feedback. So I, you know, I've had, you know, way more than the 10,000 hours or million words of nonfiction, but there's, you know, you don't get into a lot of showing versus telling in, <laughs> in nonfiction. So, yeah. Nonfiction is a lot of telling. From showing, it's a problem over there. All right. Passive voice. Um, I rated this as underdeveloped. I thought there was a lot of passive voice in this. It's written in third, what, uh, what Chris Kane would call third person close, which is perfectly fine. There were no viewpoint shifts in it. There was no head hopping. I thought it was fine. We stayed in Kat's point of view through the whole thing. That's great. A lot of it is written passively as if it's being remembered in a flashback um, or in a in sort of a halfway flashback. And um, I found that a lot of these sentences could be rewritten more actively by simply reversing the noun and the verb. My personal favorite advice that I always give, if you can excise the words was, were, and had, and their descendants hadn't, wasn't, those kinds of things from your writing vocabulary, you will force yourself to write more active sentences. And so I did that a fair amount, and I thought it was, uh, you know, I thought it needed work there. A number of sentences can be reordered simply to remove those passive verbs without really changing the meaning of the sentence or without having to rewrite whole paragraphs. But I thought that there was a lot of it. So it's, it's, I know that it's a, it, it's perfectly fine as a zero draft kind of writing style, but as a pass, 
it's something that I try in my own writing to, to get rid of and to, and to make better because active sentences tend to hold, hold reader engagement. And especially at the beginning, we want to grab them by the throat and drag them through the story as hard as we can to keep them engaged. Miss Catherine, what did you think? So I marked it between fair and good. And the only reason is because I didn't notice most of it until after the bus scene. (laughs) So after the bus scene is where I started picking up on the fact that like, this pacing's a little strange. And then because my editor happens to be really annoyed with my amount of passive voice in my manuscript, um, I've been running it through autocrit. So I ran yours through autocrit for you. And I marked down for you how many wases, wers, and hads you have. <laughs> so this way you can look through and get rid of them. There were 68 wases. <laughs> so quite a few for the amount of words that you had for this chapter, according to the almighty passive voice person, V.E. Griffith. So <laughs> what do you think, Roland? Um, well, I, in going through what you, like your comments in the, in the, this, in the, your edits, I guess, um, I saw it all and I agreed. So yeah, definitely could do that. Um, the, the part where you said, I guess it would be tense, like, you know, like the flashback thing. I'll have to take a look at that because there are some times when I'm writing something clearly story, the story you're writing, I'm writing third person past tense, right? But there's a difference between past tense and then writing the past tense that happened to the character in the story. Right. So, um, so I think sometimes, um, I shift back a little bit into that where with like, Sometimes, you know, when you get into the had had situation and things like that, you know, and there's other ways to do that, but had had is the common one, like, or, you know, the common one that, you know, it's one had too many and it's always one had too many, but, but I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, and those kinds of situations are, are where I saw the passive voice most. So there's two ways to approach that. One is to simply recast in terms of sometimes internal dialogue can get rid of those, Sometimes recasting the sentences can work and sometimes cutting to a full flashback where we jump in time and then we're still third person close, but the character is, is experiencing real time in the past can also help us get rid of that kind of had had situation. I don't know if you necessarily, you want to do that this early in the book, but that is one approach that you can take. Well, I'm going to try, I've moved a lot of the stuff that was a flashback to previous chapters to where they actually happened. So I don't have the flashbacks later on, you know, and I think that's was when I worked with, with Jeff, he helped me with a couple of things. And he said, this part of it, this like throwaway little paragraph of a flashback, you just go make that the first chapter. That's amazing. Like that's going to be such a great scene. And I did, and it's worked out really well. And I just, I'm not a huge fan of flashbacks in general. I mean, I think they're fine like later on once you're like into the book and you want to have like a short little thing, but I don't want to like start my stories with flashbacks because I think a I think people think they're a, sort of a cliche and I don't want people to be reading and go, "Oh, a flashback" or "Oh, a dream." You know, it's like you can have a dream in your book. I can have a dream in the book, but you know, I already got rid of that. So I don't <laughs> I don't need that. And uh I I certainly don't want confusion about when when something happened to the character in the book. So yeah, polish that up. 
the other approach that you can take with a with a flashback or a, a a time jump into the past is to do it as a prologue. Yeah, I'm not a fan of prologues. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get rid of the prologues. Yeah, again, that's one approach, and it's author's you know author's voice, and that's fine. In terms of sentence structure, I rated the mechanical structure to be good to very good. I didn't really find issues with things like uh, comma splices, missing or overused words bad punctuation, run-on sentences, stuff like that. I think your command of standard written English is very good. Those kinds of errors really pull me out of the story. And so that's why I I tend to focus on it very carefully when I'm line editing. Anyhow, I I liked what you had to say. And like, you gave me a lot. I liked it. Thank you. Thank you. Some some great points. Can she talk to animals? Um. Yes, she will be able to talk to animals. Anyone can talk to animals, Catherine, but like, it's whether they talk back. Well, so. I meant like, literally, it seemed like when she was like, thank you, Cooper. She, yes, she is able to communicate with, with animals, um, but she doesn't quite understand that they are actually listening. So she's starting to realize that they are, that they, that they are, they are actually able to hear her when she talks, even if she doesn't use her voice. Would you like me to tell you what my sentence structure was? No. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Okay. You can if you like. Or I mean, I don't know if you want to. I thought it was it was fair to good. Um, there are a few places where I could see the paragraph getting broken into two, and maybe or like one of her. I don't. I think I marked it in one section where I was. Maybe I didn't. But uh, I'll look back through. <laughs> there was one section that. It could have, it would have hit more had you broken the paragraph in two. So, like, I I think it was right before she tells him to, or tells the dog to calm down. There's a section, like, the paragraph is really long. And I was like, ooh, if you had broken that up, it would have, like, built the tension or the speed. I'll look back, make sure I marked it. (laughs) See, here's where I'm torn. Like, this is like one of those things where you, you get conflicting advice from different people. Like I'm a fan of reading shorter paragraphs that like when something changes, you change, you know, something changes, you boom, you have a new, you can have a one line or you can, you can change when something important happens, you want to focus on something. You often change the paragraph, you know, change to a new paragraph. And then, but when I've had some of my other stuff critiqued in the past, they're like, well, why are your sentences? So your paragraphs so short. I'm like, well, I don't want to. Ha- I don't like to have like dialogue, and then like he does. There's an action beat, and then there's more dialogue, and then another. Act- Just because it's the same person doesn't mean it all has to be one paragraph. So I like to break it up to make give it some emphasis. And so there might be a little bit of a mix and match, mix and match there. Yeah, no, that, that's I write the same way where I will go through sections where like you'll have normal paragraphs, and then when things are like building and I want it to start building and I want you to start noticing that like time's ticking, the paragraphs will get shorter and shorter. And then like, there'll be a sentence or sometimes it's a word. Like, so it just, it builds that tension is sometimes, but I only do that with my sci-fi, my, my steampunk poor, poor VEs deals with a lot of flowery sentences. (laughs) Steampunk's more, uh, more literary. Thanks for joining us. This was great. <laughs> Thank you um, for having me. Clearly, we're having a little. Yes, we're having a little bit of difficulty for uh, VE. Yes, it's finally his turn. Um, so, 
you have a few books out. You also run some courses. Where could our listeners find you? The best way to find me is on my website for authors is indestructibleauthor.com. And uh, I have a couple of my, my, my books that are relevant. I mean, all my books are relevant. Authors are human beings, mostly. So like my books are, I'm a health and fitness writer, historically. So um, I don't write historical health and fitness. Oh, oh no, I do. I have a, one book that has historical health and fitness. Um, but uh, mostly I'm a health and fitness writer, historically. And, um, but all that stuff is relevant to authors. And I'm actually working on a book for specifically for authors called The Author Brain, which is going to be um, for people who have writer's block, brain fog, um, and all the things. So it's all the things that you can do uh, mentally, emotionally, and energetically, and also nutritionally to um, eliminate and habitually like all the all the LY words, right? to uh, sort of conquer your writer's block, get rid of the brain fog and get back to writing. So, but in, so indestructibleauthor.com, you can find me right there. All right. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, <laughs> me at the moment. Thank you for, <laughs> well, it's been great. It's been a pleasure. And I really appreciate your feedback. It's been a, I learned a lot.